0: Isn't that great? What a wonderful, wonderful team got us brought our way. And uh, I love that uh, Loretta, who uh, is pretty fluent in Spanish, uh, shared a little bit with those who speak Spanish. Yo hablo muy poquito español. Muy poquito. Espanol, muy poquito. Um, But this is a great ministry and we're so thankful for the partners God has brought us and if you know folks who might be interested in that worship service and that ministry, uh, let them reach out to the church. Uh, Loretta can talk with them even after the service. She had a few folks talk to her in Spanish after the nine o'clock in the lobby. As we worship, part of our worship is giving to the Lord. This time of year, we think about giving, right, to family and friends, and we give to say how much we love them. And as we give this time of year to the Lord, here at Calvary, of our Christmas offering in the last six weeks. I want to say thank you to all of you who give uh, so faithfully to fuel ministry forward. And as a part of our Christmas offering, a huge chunk of our ministry is is fueled forward each year at this time of year. And our goal this year for these last six weeks in our offerings and our Christmas offering is $2.75 million. And uh, we're believing that as God provides through all of us, He will take care of that and He has historically been faithful in so many ways to Calvary, and so we're trusting him again. That means uh, we're praying that 2,000 households would engage with us in giving by December 31st at midnight, Uh, and I just want to encourage you that this is an important... Um, part of who we are in fueling ministry forward together as God has blessed us. So far, uh, 1,228 families have participated in the Christmas offering these first couple of weeks, and uh, we are at $1,150,310. This is all as of last Monday afternoon, uh, when we kind of close out the giving from the weekend and the week before, and so more may have come in, but that's that snapshot. And uh, again, want to say thank you to those of you who've given, and those of you who are still praying about what God would you give, what God would have you give. We just want to encourage you to be a part of this uh, at whatever level God has blessed you. You can be. Uh, giving back to the Lord, and so just want to invite everybody to join us. The three areas that we uh, are investing in through this Christmas offering to fuel ministry forward is welcoming new families so that people who've come to us, we've had thousands come to us, even as as Loretta mentioned, the the Star of Wonder event. We've had so many new folks, and we want to take care of that welcome and connection and hospitality ministry ministries for an entire year in this and then uh, we want to touch into the next generation for Jesus by investing in the next generation from birth through young adults that includes elementary middle school high school it includes our special abilities ministry and uh, this is going to this offering will fuel that ministry and all of its programming and staffing and everything for an entire year uh, from birth through young adults and so this is an important uh, season for us and terms of investing in those ministries. And thirdly, we want to reach the nations for Jesus. We want to reach the nations for Jesus. We have global partners all over the world, some in large metropolitan areas, some in some very remote spots, but all of them sharing Christ, Uh, many of them reaching into the next generation of their areas of the world. And uh, this offering, as we give together, will Take care of all of our commitment to those uh, missionary partners around the world for an entire year. So this, you can see why this is so critical for us. And you can give today, you can give this week, you can give, uh, whether you're in the room or or you're joining us online, you can give by going to calvarywestlake.org and give there. You can give through the digital kiosks that are in the lobby. You can also uh, give at the silver boxes that are at the doors and Uh, you can give through the Calvary app. If you haven't seen that app, there are a lot of great resources. You can download it from the app store of your phone and uh, you can give through the Calvary app. And then finally, we know this has been a good year in terms of the stock market. And so there are those who may be looking for a way to maximize their tax benefit while at the same time maximize their investment in Christ and his kingdom, even through their local church. And so our stewardship pastor, Rick Fuselier, is available. You can see his, his his email address right there on the the screen. You can call our office and talk with him. He can help you with how to give appreciated assets and how to make that connection. He can help you if you want to give from a qualified retirement fund. There are certain things that the Congress has set up that make it beneficial to give in a tax year from a qualified retirement fund. He can help you with those things. You can reach out to Pastor Rick. But let me say again for those of you who have given, those of you who will give, thank you for giving. If you're new to Calvary, or you're a guest today, we don't expect you to participate. Uh, we're talking to those who would say Calvary is their church where they attend, where they get blessed in ministries. And uh, so if you're a guest, we trust that you'll uh, enjoy the worship and hear uh, how much we love Jesus and how much we celebrate him together. I want to just pause and pray for that offering and for our world, and the needs of our families. Father, I pray, as Pastor Brian will be speaking in just a few moments about the complexity of family, I pray for families in the room, families online with Uh, guests will be in for the holidays and for Christmas and the celebration. I pray for the families represented here where there needs to be healing. There would be healing where there needs to be just great uh, reconnection and uh, just a refreshment of relationships. That would happen. We pray for the families uh, that are represented here at Calvary. We pray, Father, for our ministry to families, to the next generation through the Christmas offering and to our global partners around the world and to helping people get connected here. You, you, Father, know uh, how critical and important this offering is for us in this season, and I pray that you would provide through us, your people, even as Leslie and I consider our gift here as we come to the end of the year, just give us all wisdom. And Father, we uh, pray as well uh, for our world. Our world is complex, not just our families, but our world is complex. We pray for all of the innocent people being affected by the conflict and war in Israel and Gaza. I pray that you bring peace to Jerusalem. Father, we pray for places like Ukraine and other places where there are conflict in the world. We pray you bring peace this Christmas. And may believers in these areas be able to represent Jesus as a bright light of hope and love and peace. And we ask that you would work in those spots around the world. May we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, uh, bless Pastor Brian as he comes to open your Word in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible with you, and I'll open to Matthew chapter one,
1: that's where we'll be this morning. Matthew chapter one, as we continue our teaching series for the third week of "O Come, Let Us Adore Him." You know, if you've been around Calvary the last couple of weeks, you know we've been telling a story, and that story has been uh, of some families from Russia. We used to call them our Russian partners, and now we call them our Russian pastors here at Calvary. When when war broke out in Ukraine and Russia invaded, um, their their lives got thrown into turmoil, and we've been following along with that story. And it's encouraged me so much to be tracking with this story here in the month of December because I think if you're anything like me, you see the news headlines or the discussions and the debates uh, about the war how we should be funding or not funding it, and those are all important and political conversations to have that are important for a nation have but one of the things that can get lost in those conversations is individual stories of families and how god is moving in the midst of that and that's why these videos have been so encouraging to me so uh, for this next installment i want you to see this video of our russian pastors here at calvary and the story of their family and what it's been like for them in the last few years
2: one person recently asked me uh, after everything he experienced what is the happiest and saddest thing for you I think the happiest thing for me is to see our children being here. Just knowing that they're safe, that they can live in a Christian environment. Just watching them brings us lots of joy. On the other hand, I think the most difficult thing or saddest thing for me is just to understand that our parents are still back in Russia. We can't really live life together with them. My mom, she's 70 years old. She's not able to see how her grandkids are growing. If something happens with her, I will not be able to do anything. We can't come visit her. She can't come here at the moment. And that's, in a way, very sad. I only had four days to finish everything
3: before I left the country. At that time, my father was in the hospital recovering after stroke and I was not allowed to visit him. But he opened the window on the first floor and my son Timothy and I came to him. He hugged my son, he prayed us and blessed us and he said, you know, you may not understand what God is doing in your life today, but someday he will reveal it to you because what he does is the only right thing and you just have to obey him and next season was a very hard time for our family. And my father, who went through four different surgeries, and each time we thought that the surgery would be his last one, he felt incredibly weak, and it was so hard for us to know that we were so far away from our family, and we can't support them in any way. We can't hug them, we can't help them, we can't talk to them. This is very difficult because In times like this, you feel guilty, and people may judge and condemn for leaving your family. And you cannot be with your family. You have to live with
2: this every day. I'm very thankful for my wife, Katya and for our relationship. When I left Russia and already was in Turkey, we were separated. We actually didn't know what to do because we didn't have any plan. And I would talk with her every day. We discussed what could be next for us. And in a couple of weeks, as I got a chance to leave Russia, she asked me, like, if I take two kids and leave our home, what should we do? Where would we go? Would our kids be safe? And I just didn't have answers on any of those questions. And I think one option would be that I will just fly alone here to America, try to cross the border, it would be so much easier to do it like just by myself and try to build up life here and then you know find ways to bring my wife and kids here. But then we'll be separated for months or like years and who knows how our relationships can look then. And I never forget this conversation I had with my wife when I was in Turkey and she said, you know what, we have no idea what's next and we don't know what our future will look like, but we are a family and it means we should be together and we have to risk together and whatever God has in store for us, we need to go this journey together. And she said, we don't have any plan, but I'm leaving Russia. My wife, Alice,
3: supported me a lot. Every time when she saw my worries about the family, she would come to me and calm me down. She read Bible verses that encouraged us and gave the understanding that God is with us. He goes through the season with us she was a huge support for me even she had same problems with her family both of us were so desperate because we were so divided with our families and there was nothing we could do to change it we could only pray for our loved ones and stay together as a family be close to each other And this is exactly what God does with us when we are going through complexities and difficulties in our lives. He always speaks to us. He always ensures us that He always supports us and
2: guides us through difficult times. From my experience, I would like to encourage you that if you go through a dark period of life together, a dark season, just walk it together working together as a family, working together with your wife, or with your husband, with your children. Just make this decision. It's not easy, and we don't know always what's next, but I just would like to encourage you to make this decision to work it together, and trust God, and experience everything together. His grace is enough for your family.
1: Isn't that a beautiful story? I'm grateful for these families, grateful for their presence in our church, the ministry they're doing, the way they encourage us to live in love like Jesus, Um, and and really hearing their story this weekend really brings us to the place where we're going to be this morning as we think about family, and we will be talking about family this morning, the complexity of family, Uh, and here's what's true that you saw in the video, it's also true for your family as well, uh, is that there's probably no greater joy you'll experience this Christmas than your family And there is probably no greater, deeper pain you will experience this Christmas than your family. Uh, Like there's really no, you know, I mean this, like this mingled together, right? Like your family is this wonderful, incredible blessing. And yet every single person, if I stood in the lobby after the service, could come and tell me some story about their family of some kind of complexity, some kind of mess, some kind of pain that's going on with your family. And my hope this morning is to point you toward the word of God and to see Jesus' family in such a way that prepares us for family this Christmas. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 begins in this way. It says that this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew chapter 1 begins in this way. It says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Matthew begins his gospel in this way and really begins his entire story of Jesus's life, but also the story of Christmas. And the way I like to use or talk about sentences like this in the scriptures is that the first sentence frames the entire story. So it's sort of like if you were to watch an NFL football game later on today, the announcers would begin the broadcast telling you this team is playing this team and here's what's at stake and here's what's happening because the first sentence frames the story Or it's like this, if you've ever made a mistake and now you need to go tell that mistake to your spouse, don't you usually start by framing it with, honey, you know how much I love you, right? And then you go on to explain what you've done. The first sentence frames the story. And this morning what we're going to see is a sentence from Matthew that frames the entire story of Jesus and the entire season of Christmas You'll see five words that are underlined on the screen in this verse in verse one, and I want to walk you through those five to help us understand Christmas and ultimately Jesus better. The first is the word genealogy. The word genealogy in the Greek language of the Gospel of Matthew is the word Genesis. In other words, what Matthew is saying, this is the Genesis. This is the beginning of the Jesus story. It's the beginning of a new story, of a new creation where God is doing a new thing in this world. It reminds us the important point that this, that Christianity And that's following Jesus. It's not principally about a worldview or an ideology or a morality or anything else. That first and foremost, Christianity is about a person. And Christmas is about a person. The first thing I want to note is that Christmas is all about Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why Christmas is celebrated. That's what we celebrate every year. Christmas is all about Jesus. Number two, you'll see that's the genealogy of Jesus. Now, the word Jesus is actually a fascinating word, and I hope to encourage you every time you sing or speak or pray his name. Because Jesus, in the Hebrew language that that name comes from, is actually the combination of two words. In the Hebrew language, you might pronounce it Yeshua. And Yeshua is the combination of two words. The first is Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God given in the Bible, That God's name is not God, he reveals his name as Yahweh, the God who is who he is. So it's the combination of two words, Yahweh, and the word Shua, which is to save or to rescue. And so Jesus' name literally means Yahweh saves, Yahweh rescues, Yahweh redeems. Every time you talk about Jesus or sing about Jesus or pray in Jesus' name, you are praying in the name of the God, Yahweh, who rescues sinners. See, so the first is that Christmas is all about Jesus, and the second is that Christmas is the story of how Jesus is the Savior. He saves us from our sins. says the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, this word Messiah will be applied to Jesus, and Messiah is the same word as Christ, when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Christ. Now, this word Messiah or Christ, which is the same word, just in different languages, when you see that word Christ attached to Jesus, I just always want to remind us that Christ is not Jesus' last name. So it's not Mr. Christ, okay? It's like, it is a title, not a name. And it is a title that is given exclusively in the Bible to a royal individual, it is a royal title bestowed on the one who is king. So in other words, when we call Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah, we are declaring that Jesus is king and he's in charge. He's in charge of our lives and he's in charge of this world. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So listen, Jesus, or Christmas is all about Jesus. Christmas is the story of how Jesus is the savior. But listen, Christmas is the story of how Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's in charge. It says this is the genealogy of Jesus. The Messiah and then it says he's the son of David now the son of David might not mean a whole lot to you but in the Hebrew mind that would have meant quite a big deal because David was promised that in his lineage God would raise up someone who would sit on his throne and his kingdom would have no end from generation to generation would last this is the promise given to David that the people of Israel would have a king seated on the throne to rule them justly and rightly in all power and glory and majesty forever And here's the beautiful truth about Christmas. Number four, that Christmas is the story of how Jesus is king of Israel, king of God's covenant people, Israel, king of God's chosen elect and holy people of Israel. That's what it means when it says he's the son of David. And then finally, you'll see it says that he is the son of Abraham. Now, of course, Abraham is is the father of all all the nations, or or the many nations. He's the father of the Jewish people. That Abraham is really where it all comes back to. So in some way, saying that Jesus is the son uh, and that Abraham is his father is a way of saying how Jewish he thoroughly is. And yet at the same time, there is a promise given to Abraham. And that promise in Genesis 12 is that God is going to bless Abraham and his offspring, the Jewish people, the people of Israel. And at the same time, through blessing them, he's going to bless all the nations. The scriptures say, all the nations, all the world will be blessed through you. So that the promise wasn't ultimately just to the cho- chosen, holy, and covenant people of Israel, but rather that that promise would be extended to all the world, that the Gentiles would be brought into the covenant blessings of God. And that's the fifth and final thing we'll look at. See, Jesus is the king of Israel, but number five, Christmas is the story of how Jesus is the king of the world. He's the king of all nations. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and his reign and rule will know no end. So when we come to Christmas, when we show up on Christmas Eve and worship, there is a baby in a manger we remember and that's a beautiful and right thing to celebrate. But may we never forget that the one who we come to worship and adore and sing about and think about and the one who we come before in reverence and worship is also the one who is the savior. He is the Lord. He is the king of Israel. And he's the king of all the nations. That's why this December we're singing this song over and over. That we sing, oh come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. For he alone is worthy, the Messiah, the Lord. We'll give him all the glory, this Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah, this Lord. That's the invitation for us this Christmas. That when we come before Jesus, we remember these truths that Matthew lays out in his very first sentence. He says, this is the beginning, the genealogy. This is what Christmas is all about. And then he goes on to describe Jesus's family and to list Jesus's family in this way. Verse two, track with me through the genealogy of Jesus. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar and Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of nation and nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, who was the mother of Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome, and Jerome, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim the father of Azor and Azor the father of Zadok and Zadok the father of Akim and Akim the father of Eliohud, Eliohud the father of Eleazar Eleazar the father of Mathan Mathan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah this is the genealogy in the family of Jesus. And I want to say something out loud that might be true for more of us than we'd like to admit. While I was reading that genealogy, many of you completely checked out. These verses are easy to lose the plot on. You're you're reading through the scriptures and there are these passages, especially around Christmas, that are so familiar and warm and encouraging. And then you get to this and and these become what some people refer to as the flyover verses. You just kind of blow past them to get to the other stuff about Christmas. And, And listen, it makes sense. You're reading through it. You have all these names you're not really familiar with. Some of them you get, some of them you don't get. You're trying to pronounce it. By the way, my whole job up here was just to say the names confidently so it sounded like I know what I was doing. But this is what we do. Like, We read through it and then we just go... Okay, great. And then we move on to the rest of the chapter. But here's what I want to try to do this morning. I want to try to recognize that these verses can be really difficult to get really fired up on for Christmas. And at the same time, I think God has something to speak to us and to our families through the story of Jesus and his family this morning. So here's what I want to offer you in this sermon. Three reflections on Jesus' genealogy. Three reflections on the family of Jesus. Jesus. I hope this is encouragement to you. I hope this is a blessing to you. And I hope what this does for you is the next time you read the genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew or in the Gospel of Luke, you would slow down and notice what's been there the entire time. Here's the first observation. It's very simple, but it's important. It's that Jesus was born into a family. Jesus is unlike so many of the heroes we see throughout history that just show up out of nowhere. They come from outer space or they come from the wilderness. They pop up out of nowhere, but that's not so with Jesus. God could have sent Jesus as a full-grown man, but he doesn't. He sends Jesus as a baby, born into a family, raised up with a mother and a father, with people all around him. Jesus is born into a family. And so if it's true that Jesus was born into a family, and our desire here as a church is to be a people who live and love like Jesus, let me make this simple observation this morning that living and loving like Jesus begins in your family. Like in other words... If we are unable to live and love like Jesus in the context of our family, we will struggle to do so everywhere else in the world. It's like our family is the place that God is using to form us into the image and the likeness of his son. God uses family, good, bad, and ugly, to form us into the type of people who live and love like Jesus. And if it's true that this is gonna be an important part of our discipleship, it's important that we think right about our family, let me give you three lies and two truths about our family. The two lies about your family are this. Number one is that your family is your straitjacket. See, I talk to so many people, especially young adults, who think, if I can just get away from my family, if I can just get away from the way I was raised, if I could just get away from their traditions, their ideas, their morality, then I'll finally be happy. You know what ends up happening? They run as far and as fast away from their family as they can, and they don't find Happiness. And they spend their entire life running in reaction to how they were raised rather than how God has called them to be. Listen, there might be a good, right, and healthy time in your life to separate away from certain family members. But the idea that you will find freedom and satisfaction in life merely by running from your family is a lie that will never lead you to freedom. Here's the second lie. The first is that your family is a straitjacket. The second is that your family is a savior. See, for some of us, we love our family and we love being around our family, our children, our wives, our our, our mom, our dad, our uncles, aunts, grandparents. We love it. But then what can also start to happen is we start to put all of our happiness in life on our family. So everything about our satisfaction and our joy and our peace in life comes down to whether or not our family is doing well. And here's what I want you to know your family cannot sustain that load, they cannot carry that weight. If your basic approach to life is, I will be happy as long as every single person in my family is happy, you will be disappointed at some point along the way. Your family is not your savior. They are not strong enough. They cannot carry that load. There's only one person who can do that. He was born into a family. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. And he's here with you today. These are the true lies about our family. Family is straight jacket. Family is savior. Let me tell you three truths about your family. Three things you need to know that are true. Number one, your family is a gift. It's a gift. Again, God didn't have to give you a family. We could all just kind of appear into this world and have to make it on our own, but we were given this gift, a family of people who were built into our lives from the very first breath we took to raise us up. Now, for some of you, I say family is a gift and you smile and you think about the family gathering you'll have next week, the dinner you'll have or opening presents or the trip you'll take. You smile because you go, my family is a gift. When I say your family's a gift, others of you have a different reaction. I say your family's a gift, and some of you are curious if that comes with a gift receipt and a return possibility. (laughs) Because for some of you, you know that family has just been a mess. It's been complicated. It's been hard. Maybe it's been abusive. Maybe it's been terrible. Maybe it's just been the worst part of your life and existence. But even if that's you, can you at least acknowledge this Christmas that these people brought you into the world? that God allowed them to raise you up, to bring you out, to send you out. And even if you need to create healthy, good, right space from them, the gift is that they brought you here and now you get to live life going forward. Number one, your family is a gift. Number two, can I remind you, your family needs grace. They need grace. It's funny to me that sometimes we hold our family to the highest standards of anyone in this world. We have so little grace, so little forgiveness for our family because we know what's going to happen. We know how she's going to act or he's going to act or what he's going to say or how they're going to behave at Christmas. But can I stand here this morning and say a few things to you? Your mom needs grace. I don't know what she did. I don't know how she behaved. I don't know what happened in the past. I just know that she's a woman who needs grace. Can I remind you that your children and grandchildren need grace? Sometimes the deep disappointment of our life is that they didn't turn out the way we raised them to or they didn't go in the direction that we tried to lay out for them, but they need grace. They need mercy. They need kindness. Can I remind you that your spouse needs grace? Men, can I remind you that your wives need grace this Christmas? Wives, can I remind you that your husband needs grace this Christmas? That your aunt, that your sister who comes in or comes into town or goes, or you go to their house, or you do all these things—all of these things—your family needs grace this Christmas. Listen, your crazy Uncle Lenny who comes to Christmas—and my apologies to anyone named Lenny here—but <laughs> but he needs grace too. See, see, one of the things we as Christians should be around Christmas time is the most gracious of people. You know what? Yeah, yeah, they're going to say some strange things and Christmas dinner's going to be a bit odd and they're going to come and stay in the guest bedroom and we'll try to lock the door, push them in, you know, like that type of thing. But we're going to be a people of grace. Why? Because your family is a gift and your family, just like you do, needs grace. And here's the final thing. Your family is not God. They do not determine your future. They do not hold your hope and your peace and your joy in their hands. Your family is good. It is, they need grace. They are a gift. It is a wonderful thing, but they are not your God. And if you put the weight of your family being the most important thing of your life upon your family, then what will immediately happen is they will disappoint you because they are not built to carry that weight. That's number one. Jesus was born into a family. Second reflection this morning is this, that Jesus' family was a complicated mess. A complicated mess. Now, I don't know about your family, uh, but sometimes when I think around my extended family and all the wonderful people I get to run around, it can be a complicated mess there are some beautiful, wonderful, incredible people that I get to call family, some people that I get to be involved with that I just love being around. And then there's complicated stories where it's just hard to figure out even how to navigate it. It's probably true for you as well. It's a complicated mess, but that's the family Jesus was born into. I won't read through the entirety of the scripture we looked at, but can I highlight a few of these people who we read this morning? And I wonder if you'll recognize any of these individuals in your family. Their circumstances were different, but I wonder if you'll recognize anyone like this. Abraham, it mentions, he's the one who was blessed by the Lord and changed his family tree. Maybe you have someone in your family who just had a huge financial windfall or somehow their life or their journey set up your whole family in a different direction. You have Jacob, the one who deceived his family. He was a liar, but he also wrestled with God. So you have this person who's complicated in the name of Jacob. You have Rahab. Rahab is introduced in the book of Joshua as a prostitute. She's known for her sexual sin, but also for her courage and the remarkable life she lives. You have David, the one who celebrated for his faith, but also has profound failures. Like you think of our soul series on David this summer, where we looked at a man who was filled with faith and at the same time also with his sin. You have Solomon, the one who was supernaturally wise, but often acted foolishly. You have Rehoboam, the one who was too arrogant to listen to advice and brought ruin on his family. You have Asa, the one who walked faithfully with God, but still died of illness. You have Manasseh. This is the one who's unspeakably wicked and evil. He did sorcery. He sacrificed his own child. He is a terrible blemish on the genealogy of Jesus that people would prefer to forget. Then you have Azor. And if you think Azor, I've never heard of Azor. Well, welcome to the club called everyone ever. No one's heard of Azor. No one knows anything about him other than he's listed in this genealogy. He's the one whose life has been forgotten. Maybe you know someone like that in your family. And then you have Mary, the one who humbled herself and was used by God. You know, you go through the genealogy of Jesus and you see people who walk by faith and you see people who rebelled against God. You go through this genealogy and you see wise people and foolish people. You see people who brought the family together and people who wrecked it apart. You see people who did well and people who did poorly. And you see people who did both all at the same time. Can I summarize Jesus' family in this way? Jesus' family was a complicated mess. It was a complicated mess. Even down to Mary herself who humbles herself. She is such a shining beacon of faith in the Christmas story. You know how complicated and messy it must have been for her to explain her situation to everyone? Like if you left the church service today and you were in our lobby and you ran into someone who said, guess what, I'm pregnant. And you said, oh wow, congratulations, who's the father? And they said, no, no, no father, God came upon me and now I'm pregnant. You might smile and say Merry Christmas and walk away and make a note to not go that way in the lobby ever again. Right, Because you know where babies come from, and so do people in the ancient world. And so when Mary said, no, 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 Joseph and I haven't been together, God brought this upon me, we're so used to the virgin conceiving that we're like, of course that's the Christmas story. But that's not what people would have said. And I don't say this to mock Mary, I say it to empathize with her. This was a messy moment, a messy situation, a complicated situation to add to all of the generations of messiness Jesus stepped into. Listen, Jesus' family was a complicated mess, Here's the coolest thing about it. But God was at work anyway. God was at work saving his people from their sins and using Jesus to bring redemption to the entire world through a complicated and messy family. And here's why that's the best news for someone this morning, because your family might be a complicated mess. For some of you, you come in and your marriage is a wreck. No one knows about it, but you two. You've keeping it hidden, but it's a complicated mess. For some of you, your kids or your grandkids, there's just tension all over the place there. And you're not even sure how to deal with it or where it went wrong. It's a complicated mess. For some of you, it's with your mom or your dad or your grandparents or a long lost uncle or someone in your life. It's a complicated mess. And our temptation around Christmas is to say it's complicated and it's messy and it's difficult and it's hard and therefore God must have abandoned us. But if it's true for the Christmas story, it's true for your story. If it's true for Jesus's family, it's true for your family. Your family might be a complicated mess, but God is at work anyway. Can I remind you this morning that God has not abandoned your family. He has not left you. He is at work in the midst of the complicated mess. And you know what's beautiful about the life of Jesus? He models for us how to live in a complicated and messy family. See, can I point out two things? One is that Jesus' messy family did not define him. You know why it didn't define him? Because Jesus' father in heaven defined him. Jesus' father is the one who looked on him and said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And that same father looks at you, says, you are my beloved son or daughter, and in you I'm well pleased. Your father in heaven defines you. If your family's messy, if you come out of a genealogy where things were difficult or hard or things didn't go well and maybe there was some real complicated mess in there, the Father in heaven still defines you as his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. Number one, Jesus' family did not define him. Number two, Jesus' family did not deter him. Jesus had a mission from God the Father to save the people from their sins, to be the one who lays his life down, rises from the dead and is crowned king of the world. Jesus' messy family does not define him nor deter him. And you need to know the same is available for you. I need someone to hear this morning that you are not destined to be defined by the sins of your father. I don't know what your father or your mother or their father or their father before that did, but that does not have to define you. It does not have to be your story as well. And listen, you are not destined to repeat the sins of your father's. Maybe every person in your family has dropped the ball. Every person in your family is divorced. Every person in your family has been addicted. Every person in your family has not made it. Every person in your family, their life has crumbled. That does not have to be the same for you. Why? Because Paul tells us something clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which means anyone, whatever your family is, whatever your background is, whatever happened in your life, if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You're a new creation. The old is gone. And Jesus says, I will define you. I will direct you and your life will be made new. Here's the final reflection on Jesus, Jesus' genealogy. One, Jesus was born into a family. Number two, Jesus' family was a complicated mess. Number three, Jesus invites us into his complicated family, into his complicated and messy family. Like I want you to see this repeated phrase we find throughout the New Testament about becoming children of God. John 1 verse 12 says this, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, that's Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. In other words, the great story of the scriptures, the great story of Jesus and the gospel that we preach here is that we can become children of God. We can become part of the family of God where God is our father and we are his children, part of his family. The Christmas story is that God made us family. But then you'll notice here how that happened. Notice it says we become children of God. And you'll see what I underlined up here. It says the people who get to become children of God are those who believed in his name. Notice it doesn't say those who showed up at church enough times in 2023. Notice it doesn't say those who read their Bible or pray enough or give enough money to the church or to the poor. Notice it doesn't say to those who avoided the really bad sins or didn't make their family crumble or didn't do something bad or inappropriate at Thanksgiving dinner. It doesn't say any of that. It simply says to those who believed, to those who received, to those who received the gift, not based on your merit, your behavior, your history, your past or your record. Jesus says you get to be a part of the family Of God. Why? Because this is true of a spiritual family of God, but it's also true of your physical family. May I remind you that family is determined by birth, not behavior. Family is determined by birth. That's why when you speak to someone who has an estranged child or grandchild, they will often tell you in almost shockingly similar language that, yes, they're far from me right now. No, they're not speaking to me. Yes, I wish we could be reconciled, but that doesn't change the fact that that's my son. That doesn't change the fact that that's my daughter Anyone in here who's walked through that journey with an estranged child knows how it feels to say, yes, their behavior is wrecking my heart right now, but they'll never stop being my son. That's how the God of the universe looks at you. When you are welcomed into his family, he says your behavior might not please him. You might grieve the heart of God. You might grieve the spirit of God. And yet you never stop being a child of God because family is determined by birth, not behavior. This is the story of Jesus. We are welcomed into the family of God, into the bloodline of Christ. Not through the bloodline of your father or your father's father or his father before that, but by a different bloodline entirely. It is the bloodline of Jesus shed on the cross for our sins and for our salvation. That same Jesus goes into the grave and rises from the dead to create a new family of all humanity, welcomed into the family of God that you might be forgiven of your sins, made a child of God, and given a home in heaven forevermore. This is the gospel. This is the invitation of Christmas. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you've not received and believed in that truth, you can do that right where you sit. You don't need to perform or behave or or make God love you. He already does. And just like the best Christmas gift you've ever given, he is holding it out to you this morning and says you are welcome to receive it. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to call out to God right where you sit. I'll be in the lobby. There'll be pastors all over this building who'd love to talk to you, to pray with you and to point you. Toward a relationship with Jesus. Because here's the best news you need to hear this morning, that Jesus invites complicated, messy, broken, sinful people like you and me into his family. That's the gospel invitation. That's the invitation for you this morning. And it is the mission for all of us who know Jesus this week to remember this truth that's on our screen right now. The truth that's on our screen right now is the mission and the marching orders for all of us as we go into Christmas Eve services. See, all month we've been proclaiming everywhere we can on written stuff, on on cards, on different places we've done all over the internet this phrase, oh, come let us adore him. Why? Because it's an invitation to our city, an invitation to our valley, an invitation to our region that whoever you are and wherever you've been and whatever life's been like in this last year, you can come adore Jesus. You'll see this uh, projected on the outside of our building, that as hundreds of thousands of cars drive by on the 101, they can be told that they can come adore Christ the Lord this Christmas. Here's our message to the community. If you're messy, if your life is falling apart, if you can't seem to get it together, come. Come this Christmas Eve. Come adore Jesus. If you're perfect and everything's put together and you've got it all together and you don't need anyone, come adore Jesus with us anyway. If you walked away from church or you backslid away from Christ or if you're deconstructing your faith or filled with doubt or questions, come adore Jesus with us anyway. No matter who you are, no matter how you've been, the invitation is that we would bring people to adore Christ the Lord. This is the opportunity and the mission for those of us who know Jesus this week. We have six Christmas Eve services coming up um, just this, this next weekend. We'll have the Saturday night service, 6 p.m. right here in this room, and then five services on that Sunday, 9, 11, 1, 3, and 5. All six services will be identical. They will all be the same Christmas Eve service. You can come to one, and you've been to all of them. You've seen it. Um, If you are looking to be at the service that is the most crowded and maybe difficult to get into, please come to the 3 and 5. Um... And and, and if you were looking for maybe a little more elbow room, maybe come a little earlier, come Saturday night. I know that Saturday night is becoming a blessing for those who usually travel on Christmas Eve. And so we would love to see you on Saturday night. But listen, we created this space because we want people to come adore Christ. We want people to come adore who Jesus is and what he's all about. And the invitation we get to extend is to people who are broken and sinful and messy and aren't sure which way is up and aren't even sure what they believe about God to come adore Christ the Lord. Some of you have those cards in your hand or in your purse or in your wallet. I want you to hand those out. We've printed 5,000 that are in circulation all in our area. We want hundreds, even thousands of people who don't know Jesus to come to this place and adore Christ the Lord. Why? Because that's what our family is all about. You know, one of my favorite part of Christmas Eve services, and in all six of our services we will do this, um, is the very end, it's become a tradition for us, uh, where we sing Silent Night at the very end with candles we hold in our hands. And you'll see a picture of this here on the screen, and this is one of my favorite parts of the service, and for some of you, it's your favorite part too. It's so um, beautiful to see happen, and I love this part, and one of the unique vantage points I usually get is that I'm on stage while that song is being sung. And I look out across the Calvary body and I look out and I don't think, oh, this is the three o'clock service. I think to myself, this is the Calvary family. And the Calvary family is just like your family and just like Jesus's family and just like every family. It's messy and complicated. There's people filled with faith and filled with victory and filled with incredible things going on. There's people experiencing the lowest of the low and the most broken time of their entire lives and everywhere in between. But you know what Jesus does? He invites our family to come together to set our eyes, our focus, our heart, and our attention on the one who is worthy of it all, and that is Jesus, Christ, the Lord. I look at the Calvary family, and I look at the beauty of that moment that will be on Christmas Eve, and here's the thought I have, and the thought I want to leave you with this morning as you go out this week on a mission to bring people with you to Christmas Eve. It's simply this, that there's always room for one more in Jesus' family. There's always room for one more, and our mission This week is to be a people who invite, who ask, who bring people with us, who say, why don't you come with me and my family? Why don't you be a part of it? Why don't you be a part of this Christmas? Why don't you come adore Christ? Because he alone is worthy. He is Christ, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for Jesus' family, the messiness that it was. And God, we recognize that complexity and that mess exists in our own families. And Father, I know a message like this stirs up so much for some who have just walked through the valley of the shadow of death this year with their family. I pray your Holy Spirit would do a ministering work in their hearts. I pray your Holy Spirit would bless them. I pray that they would be filled with your peace and a sense of your presence this Christmas. God, bind up wounds, help those who are hurting and God, meet us in our pain. And for those of us who will celebrate joyfully with family, may that joy be centered around the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who was born into this world to be the savior of the world. God, may our Christmas celebration next, next uh, weekend, the six services, may they be filled with joy, may they be filled with truth, may they be filled with love. God, may be the, the, this room and those online, may it be filled with people who don't know you but will come to know you through the power of the gospel and the resurrected Jesus. So God, help us this week to be on mission for you, with your people, to invite people to come be a part of this family of God. Thank you that you made us family through your blood shed on the cross. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.